turned it on. <laughs> and no, yes, there it is. I can just see a reflection in that TV, so that TV's still working. <laughs> we plan different things, like where we might live. That's a, that's a mansion. We plan different things, like we might get married. We might have kids. We might plan not to have kids. And that plan might change as well. We plan our job, our career, our, our life. We plan a lot of different things. We plan where we might eat out for dinner. When I was about to leave school, I, I planned to be uh, a chef. I wanted to, to get an apprenticeship after, after school and um, live my life cooking food, cooking good food. Instead, I ended up working in three different meatworks, slaughtering cows, pigs and calves and whatever else, for about eight years. My plans were, were changed. I still worked with food, but a heck of a lot fresher than, than a chef might work. And look at me now, I'm a pastor. Plans change. Well, Paul writes about the plans that he had to visit the Corinthian church this morning. He planned to visit them on, on his way back to Judea, on his way to Macedonia, and, and on his way back again. But his plans changed. He, he didn't end up getting to, to visit them, even though he longed to. Have a look at verse 15 of our passage. He says, Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you, so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. As we move through our passage this morning, we're going to see a couple of things that as men and women we plan. We plan and, and those plans don't always come to completion like Paul's plans. But the plans that God makes definitely do. 100% they are, they are always come through to fulfilment. As men and women, we make plans that, that don't always benefit us or benefit those around us. But certainly God's plans always benefit us. Now, what kind of plans have you made in your life? Like I said, you know, marriage plans, kids, job, those sort of plans. Have you seen all of those plans come to completion? I certainly haven't. We make plans, like two different kinds of plans. Long-term plans, say 10 to 20 years. And then short-term plans, this afternoon, a week, a month, a year. A short-term plan like might be, um, I might go to the shops this afternoon. And a long-term plan might be, I would like to be Prime Minister of Australia one day. 10 to 20 years... <laughs> Thanks, Bree. It might take 10 to 20 years for that to come to completion because I'd have to spend that long trying to convince Bree to vote for me. <laughs> Paul's, Paul's short-term plan was to visit the Corinthian church. But due to unforeseen persecution in, in Ephesus, he, he didn't get to visit them. But he had a long-term plan as well. 
he knew that he would be able to see the Corinthian church people again. Look at verse 13 of our passage. He says, For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read, read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Paul knew that he was going to see the Corinthian church again, even though his plans didn't work out. And I'll click through. Even though he didn't, didn't get to visit them again, he knew that, that he was going to see the, the um, Corinthian people again because of his assurance that the day of the Lord Jesus would come again. What I'm trying to remind you or, or, or tell you this morning is that we as humans don't always see our plans come to fulfilment. We need to be reminded occasionally of our frailty, the frailty of our plans and, and that our plans can be changed as, as something as simple as a headache or the weather or technology or whatever the case may be. James says in chapter 4, verses 13 to 15, he says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. For what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say... If the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. Oh, that's the last verse. You see, just like James and Paul, we need to remember that that our plans can change. We need to understand the the, the fragility of our plans. Even as a dad, I make plans with my family... Um, that don't always come to completion. And I know that I've made plans with some of you who um, that that haven't come to completion. I've, I've let people down in the past. But at no time was I ever saying yes, yes and no, no at the same time. And I'm sure I can vouch for Pastor Duncan that, that there would be no time where he would make plans with someone with his fingers crossed behind his back. At no time would either of us say yes, yes to plans and yet no, no in our hearts. We are mere men, but but we don't go out of our way to deceive any of you. And that's what Paul is saying about his conduct towards the Corinthian church in verse 17 and 18. He says, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. That word there, vacillating, it means to be irresolute. It means to be wavering between differing opinions. And Paul was under attack for doing this, for changing his plans with the Corinthian church. Not only was he under attack personally 
and, and his integrity was under attack, but the gospel message that he preached to the, to the church was attacked as well. There were those in the church that were saying, if, if Paul can't keep his, his travel plans, then how can we trust him in regards to the weightier matter of the gospel? How can we trust him about what he said about Jesus, whether it's true or not? And so Paul uses not only Timothy and Silvanus, but God himself as well to back up the claim that he was always saying that Jesus Christ is yes, yes, and not no, no. Verse 19, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. And in verse 12, he says that he calls against, um, uses God to, to back up his claim. It's not verse 12, it's one of the other verses. As surely, verse 18, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. He implies that this work of God in their lives, not, in, not only his life, but t- Timothy and Silvanus as well, it guarantees the trustworthiness of their message. Guarantees the trustworthiness of their proclamation of Jesus Christ. If they can be guaranteed in this weighty matter of the message of Jesus Christ, if they can be trusted in this, then surely they can be trusted that they weren't making their plans according to the flesh, yes, yes, and no, no, at the same time. Paul says that the the litmus test, do you remember the litmus test in science in high school? The litmus test of a good apostle should not be whether or not they kept their travel plans, whether or not they visited you or not. The litmus test of a good apostle should be whether they preached Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. Whether they lived out that preaching as well. And the litmus test of a good pastor, teacher, elder, Christian in general is not whether they visit you or not whether they keep their plans 100%. It's what they preach and live out. I'm not saying this because I, I don't want to come and visit you. I love visiting people, trust me. But I'm saying that this is a lesser matter. Visiting people is a lesser matter compared to what is, is preached and taught Hear from the pulpit. I may promise you to uh, may promise something to you that doesn't happen. I may make a plan to to visit you. I may may do something, plan to to write something down for you, and and it may not come true, may not come through. But I don't make my plans with my fingers crossed behind my back. I want to be able to to boast about my integrity among you in the same way that Paul does in verse 12. He says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, 
that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom but by the, the grace of God and so supremely toward you. I want to be able to boast about my integrity and godly sincerity in this way. And I'm sure I can, again, vouch for Pastor Duncan. But the reality is that that we are mere men and that we will disappoint you. But by the grace of God, I can act with godly sincerity. By the grace of God, if I do something wrong and if I renege on my plans... I can come to you and ask for forgiveness and you can forgive me by the grace of God. There will be times when when men disappoint us, men and women. But we can know that the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. We can know that what God promises will come true. Paul says that the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. In verse 20, For all of the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. All of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. Not some of them, not half of them, not two-thirds even. But all of them, 100% of the promises of God, find their yes in Jesus Christ. And that is why we can utter our amen to God for his glory. The promises made hundreds of years before, before uh, before Jesus turned up, before Jesus was born, they find their yes in Jesus Christ. The promises that that are still to come for us, they find their yes in Jesus Christ. Let me give you a few examples. I'll just run through them very quickly. Genesis chapter 3, 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Random piece of scripture, but you see the promise of of Eve's offspring bruising Satan's head finds its yes in Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 30. 31 verses 33 and 34. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbour and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. The promise of the forgiveness of sins finds its yes in Jesus Christ and only in Jesus Christ. 
Folks, that is why we can utter our amen to God for his glory. Have you ever thought about the word amen? We say it at the end of, end of saying grace for dinner and at the end of all our prayers. The word amen is a Hebrew word and it means let it be so. So as we join together in saying amen to God for his glory, we say let it be so. Duncan, I think we need to get a speaker just down in the middle so that we can press a button when we need an amen. (laughs) If these promises find their yes in Jesus Christ, then surely we can trust God that he has our best intentions at heart when when we follow his plans for us. If God is able to, to achieve amazing things such as the resurrection of Christ through terrible adversity like the crucifixion and surely we can trust him that he can bring us through our minuscule adversity people will let us down and renege on their plans and we shouldn't fall apart because of that we've got a a, such a greater foundation of our faith that we should be able to continue to trust God because of the knowledge that he has our best intentions at heart and that they work out for good all of the time. Look at Romans chapter 8 verse 28 with me. Romans 8:28. Paul writes, And we know that for those who love God... All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God is much greater than we give him credit for sometimes, isn't he? When our plans fail, sometimes we think that this is because we did something wrong. And and maybe Paul went through the same sort of thinking. We think, oh, this plan's failed. We must have done something wrong or or it's a failed plan or... If we don't see it come to completion, we must have failed in some area. But that's not always true. Verse 23 of our passage, Paul says, But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. God can use our our failed plans in a way that, that we don't see all the time. Just in the same way that he used the failed plans of Paul coming to the, at the, the Corinthian church again to spare them of the ear bashing that they probably would have got, these failed plans can, can spare us of grief, but they can also cause us to grow in our dependence of God. These failed plans sometimes are, are for our benefit not just 
for not seeing things come through. Did you notice something in our passage this morning? There's two words. Paul uses the word plan when he talks about his plan. And yet when referring to what we might term as God's plan, he uses the word promise. You see, the difference between our plans and God's plans or God's promise is astronomical. There's chalk and cheese, there's, there's salt and pepper for the, for the want of an analogy. There's, they're as far from east as the west. You know what I mean. They're as far apart as the east is from the west. God's promise is so different to our plans. I've gone one too far. There we go. As you can see in that reading from Isaiah, God doesn't always work in the way that he expects, that we would expect him to. God works in a higher and and much greater way. And I want you to think about something. The, the cross of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, was that God's plan A or plan B? Plan A? You can see that right from the beginning of the fall of man, that that was God's plan right from then. You can see that at the call of Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, we can see promises that preempt the, the cross. The imagery of, of the ram being sacrificed in place of Abraham's son. And then, and then Jesus comes and turns that around and God's son is sacrificed in the place of rams and bulls and goats in order to take away the forgiveness of the sins of the world. If God can use the cross to bring about the resurrection and the forgiveness of sins and the redemption of his people and eternal life, then those who place his for those who place his trust their trust in him, then surely he can use our failed plans for his good. Because we know that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. But I want to ask you, in what areas of your life, in what areas of, of your trust in God, in what areas of your, your trust of God with your plans, might you be vacillating this morning? What areas are we not submitting to God 100%? We've all got that cupboard or that drawer at home that, that stores junk. What area of your heart has a, has a junk storage? What area of your heart are you still holding on to your plans rather than holding fast to God's plans and God's faithfulness? What is God's plan for your life? I don't know. What's God's plan for my life? I don't know. 
But I do know that he longs to have us trust him 100%, not 99.9%. I know that God longs for us to open wide our hearts because he has glorious, wonderful things waiting for us. Things like us realising how glorious he is. If we know that God is faithful and God is trustworthy, why do we not trust him 100% with our plans all the time? Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast to the confession of our faith, confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Our plans are fickle, aren't they? Our plans can change in a heartbeat. And and those plans may just affect ourselves, they may affect others. But all of God's promises find their fulfilment in Jesus Christ and him alone. And so what areas of your life do you need to submit to God this morning? What areas of your heart do you need to open up and, and allow God into in light of his promises and his faithfulness to you in the past? Will you hold fast to your faith without wavering? Will you open your heart to him this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge this morning that that our plans before you are are but a mist. Our life before before you, our our earthly life is, is a mist. And sometimes we focus in too much on that part of our life rather than being focused in on eternal things. And Lord, this morning I pray that each, as each one of us go out of here, we would consider the things that you have promised us and that we would open wide our hearts to you, that we would open wide those areas of our life where we might be either wavering or holding back from you. And Lord, that that would change our lives in a remarkable sort of way that we would be able to tell of your greatness to those around us and, and to, to witness the, the remarkable things that you have for us, not just in, in eternity but here and now. Lord, help us to not waver in our faith. Help us to, to seek your plan and your promise for our life and to, to act out on that. Lord, I just pray that we would open wide our hearts to you this morning. In your name. Amen.